You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Newcastle in the Premier League. I heard this game referred to the other day as the Matteo Debussy derby. Love that, gotta say. Um, so yeah, looking forward to this one and looking forward to Arsenal having the opportunity to put right what happened at Anfield the other day. And I say put right in the sense of... It was a game that not many people gave us a hope in. I didn't really give us a massive chance in. We got beat. We got beat comprehensively. But now what is important is that Arsenal bounce back, is that Arsenal put the demon to bed and kind of just get on with it uh, and continue moving forward because we have been moving forward in recent months. And therefore, it's so imperative that Arsenal can get three points in the bag, especially with an away trip to Manchester United just around the corner, followed by a trip to Goodison Park to face Everton and I know that Everton haven't been in great form of late but it's still a very difficult game and when you think that those two games are in such close proximity Manchester United away on Thursday and then Everton away on the Monday you feel like it's really key that Arsenal get three points also add to that that you know some of our opponents or, or teams that we're in and around Manchester United they go away to Chelsea and of course uh, West Ham United play Manchester City. So there's an opportunity here for Arsenal to really capitalise and at least kind of cover some ground and, and get a little bit of a an, an advantage going into what's going to be two difficult fixtures for the Arsenal. So I've called it in the title a must-win game and I really do feel that is the case. I don't care how we win it. I don't care if we win it with a 94th minute own goal. I don't care if somebody bundles one in over the goal line at the far post. It's just so key that Arsenal pick up three points and not only get the points on the board, but also not allow ourselves to get into some kind of rut and not allow ourselves to have our confidence dented and destroyed ultimately by what happened at Anfield last Saturday. Because as we kept saying in all the reaction shows and all the shows that we've done throughout the course of the week, that can happen to anybody. And, um, and, and I genuinely do believe that. Let's say a few hellos to some of you in the chat. Hope you're all well. Hope you're keeping well. Hope you're enjoying your Friday so far. Um, Arsenal, of course, the early kickoff on Saturday, which means we don't have too long to wait until this one. So it can go one of two ways, right? Arsenal either win, uh, get the result that you want, and then you can sit back, relax and enjoy the rest of the weekend's football or Arsenal mess it up and then it ruins the weekend's football for you. So your weekend could either get off to a great start or a bad start. That's the problem with these 12.30 games. But anyway, um, let's say a big thank you, a special thank you uh, to Saeed Abdullah, who's kindly donated um, to the channel. Thank you so much, Saeed. And you did this before I even hit the live button, uh, which shows how much support you're showing. So thank you so, so much. Um, really, really appreciate it, mate. And, and your support really does help the channel because as a freelancer, what it does is it gives me 
more freedom, more time to then spend on this podcast, as opposed to having to do work for other people to kind of pay the bills and, and keep the family, et cetera, et cetera. So honestly, Saeed, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, big hello to Alejandro, who joins us from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, big hello to Nishith, to Solomon, to Mint, um, to Omar, to Dave. Uh, Nathan Hunt says, uh, yes, how am I? We will lose to NUFC. I'm worried about Arteta's management style. Way to go in with the negativity early doors, mate. But I, I don't think we'll get beat. I've got to be honest. Uh, big hello to Shorty Blitz, who says, hi, mate. Great show you do. And you reignited my love for the Gooners. Keep up the good work. Glad to hear it, mate. Glad to hear uh, that it's helped. Thank you so much. Mint says, uh, I've had a great morning. Spur has the gift that keeps on giving. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Big hello to Josh and big hello to JidF32. Hope you're all good. Right. Let's dive in to the preview of this game. Arsenal versus Newcastle United. Had a chat with uh, Chris Wallace from the Gallagate Shots podcast, which is another one of the 90 min podcasts. Um, just a few days ago, actually, you can find it on the channel. It's not the last video. It's the one before that. If you're a podcast listener as well, it's the same. You'll find it in the feed. Uh, it's called The Opposition View. And I had a good sit down with Chris. And we talked about everything around Newcastle United at the moment. The reaction to the takeover and the issues that Newcastle fans have had to deal with, the questions that Newcastle fans have had to deal with uh, due to the, the nature of their new ownership group and who they are and all the things that have gone on in the past. We talked about how that kind of overshadowed it a little bit. We talked about the appointment of Eddie Howe, what he's brought to the team. And Chris was quite uh, confident and happy, actually, with the appointment of Eddie Howe. He felt that he is the right type of manager given Newcastle's precarious position at the moment. Remember, they haven't won a game in the Premier League so far this season, which doesn't bode well. You know, there was a lot of talk when the takeover was announced about how quickly it would be before Newcastle were challenging right at the top of the Premier League. And I think a lot of us kind of sat back and went, calm down, lads, calm down. You know, th this is a side who are really, really poor and you can have all the money in the world, but you've got to be able to attract players and you know, looking at Newcastle's position now where they're embroiled in a relegation battle, are they going to be able to attract that top tier of players straight away? I don't think so. They clearly couldn't attract the top tier manager either, which is why they went with Eddie Howe. And I'm not saying Eddie Howe's bad, but he hasn't got any previous of winning things. He hasn't got any previous of, you know, people looking and saying, yeah, you know, he's great. He worked miracles at Bournemouth in the early days. Then towards the end, I think it went a little bit sour. And I think what you have to say about Eddie Howe, which a lot of people kind of don't want to say and don't want to touch on, is that actually he spent a hell of a lot of money at Bournemouth. And towards the end, it was really, really bad. And the club's loyalty to him, based on what he'd done previously, meant they stuck with him and ultimately they paid the price and were relegated. So I think Eddie Howe is a decent manager. I think there are some really good things about him. I think that Chris was spot on when he said that we weren't going to get an Unai Emery or an Antonio Conte or somebody of that ilk at this point. Eddie Howe is someone who'd probably be quite happy to stay at Newcastle, even if they got relegated, which is a real possibility. They're going to try and spend in January, of course, but are they going to be able to do the business that they want? I don't know. What we did see from Newcastle, though, and again, Chris alluded to it in their last fixture against Brentford, was far more attacking prowess, was... Uh, was freedom, was the shackles being taken off by a coach who clearly has an attacking philosophy in stark contrast to Steve Bruce, who was very much safety first, probably felt he had to play that way. 
But Newcastle were really, really positive going forward. Joe Linton, a player who um, I've criticised in the past and looked at and gone, how on earth did you manage to pay 40-odd million or whatever it was for him? I think he played well. I think that um, Alan Saint-Maximan is, is clearly the obvious threat. Obviously, Joe Willock is there as well. And we know what Joe Willock can do uh, firsthand in terms of getting into the penalty area late and making things happen. So Newcastle have some weapons in their locker. The, the thing for me with Newcastle last weekend was that they were really poor defensively. And what you're seeing is probably evidence as to why previous managers, not just Steve Bruce, by the way, Rafa Benitez before him, felt as though they had to play with this safety first approach with the handbrake on and almost um, just accept and acknowledge that they couldn't go toe-to-toe with a lot of teams and had to be a little bit more conservative in their approach. So you saw good sides to Newcastle last weekend and you saw bad sides. The good sides were the uh, added attacking prowess, the fact that they were more, um, you know, more of a threat, but also you saw a defensive fragility that, okay, has always been there, but was glaringly more obvious when they tried to open up a little bit and try to be that bit more expansive. So it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Uh, It's only Eddie Howe's second game. Eddie Howe will return to the dugout, of course, because he was absent uh, against Brentford due to testing positive for COVID the night before. It's been confirmed that he will be on the touchline. And I wonder if that's going to make a difference in terms of the style. I know that a lot of his ideas and theories and, and kind of, you know, I, yeah, I guess his ideas were were implemented last weekend. But what happens now is, are we going to see a difference because Eddie Howe will actually be there? Obviously, it's easier to manage a side from the sidelines than it is from at home. Um, but are we going to see more of the same? Are we going to see Eddie Howe come out to, to the Emirates Stadium and say, well, we're going to go toe-to-toe with Arsenal? Or are we going to see him be a little bit more conservative? I guess when you're looking at your fixtures as a relegation-threatened team, you would look at Brentford at home and say, that's a game we need to win. I think you would probably look at a game away to Arsenal as a bit of a free hit, similarly to the way that I was looking at our trip to Anfield. It's a game that you probably won't win. It's a game that you don't have a right to win, but you're going to give it a go anyway. And if you get something great, if you don't, then there's nothing to worry about, nothing to cry about. It's not going to define your season. So I just wonder if... The fact that it probably feels like a bit of a free hit for Newcastle, uh, as much of a free hit as they could have, given that they are in the position they're in. I wonder if Eddie Howe will just say, F it, let's go for it. You know, let's take the game to them. Let's try and make it happen. Um, let's let's try and build some confidence. Let's try and hurt this Arsenal side and perhaps catch them by surprise. I don't know. From an Arsenal perspective, lots and lots of decisions for Mikel Arteta to make. Um Lots and lots of decisions with regards to the team selection. We'll come on to uh, talk about the team in just a moment or so. But, you know, some of the decisions that he'll have to think about. Does Kieran Tierney come back in the side? Does Partey continue in midfield alongside Lekonga? Does he stick with the Lacazette in behind the Bamiyang thing? Or does he change it? Does he bring Martin Odegaard back in the team potentially? Does he leave... Maybe Bukayo Saka out, who looked very fatigued and tired. Does he leave maybe Emil Smith-Rowe out, who also looked fatigued and tired? It's going to be interesting to see how Mikel Arteta approaches this one. I've got some ideas about how I would like to see the team line up, which I'll share with you in just a moment. But, um, you know, 
Lots to mull over in the lead up to this game. Just want to say a big thank you uh, to Anish as well uh, for his uh, very kind donation. Anish, thank you so much, mate. He goes on to say great content. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I can see there are a few questions in the chat and I promise you we're going to do a Q&A section uh, in just a little bit. Just need to get through a few bits um, on this uh, on this edition of the podcast. And then I promise uh, I'll hand the reins over to you guys and I'll take some of your questions. Uh, just a quick reminder before we go into the team selection. If you haven't done so already and wish to enter our giveaway, you can do so by heading over to Twitter. You can find us at Chronicles underscore AFC. Follow the instructions in our pinned tweet. And um, yeah, we'd, uh, we'd love to we'd love to have you enter. And of course, we'll be giving away two Arsenal shirts from this season. That can be the home, the away or the third. You can choose. The two winners will be able to choose to celebrate the Chronicles of Aguna's birthday, which is coming up in January. So please uh, do get involved. Alternatively, if you don't have Twitter, and I know there's a few of you who have reached out that don't, you can email me. Chroniclesafc at gmail.com is the address that you need to send uh, over to. All you need to do is say that I'd wish to be entered in the competition. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and we will pop you in the draw, which is going to be made on Friday, the 3rd of December. Right, let's go into it then. Let's talk about the team. Let's talk about the lineup. Let's talk about how I would like to see Arsenal line up at the weekend. Obviously, Aaron Ramsdale put in another incredible performance uh, up at Anfield the other day and definitely deserves to retain his place. I think we can all agree that he is clearly the number one at the moment and there's no reason to change that. I think the centre-backs again pick themselves. Gabriel on the left side of that central defence with Ben White on the right. Takahiro Tomiyasu, um, again, another player who joined in the summer and continues to impress. I think he continues at right back. And I guess the big decision is at left back now. Nuno Tavares made a mistake at Anfield, looked, you know, a little bit shaky at times. What I would say, though, is, you know, the mistake he made is something that he will learn from. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about the importance of taking lessons away from that defeat at Anfield. And I think that's absolutely spot on. You know, you could have played Sarah Kalasin actually there, for example, and he could have made a similar mistake. but. We know that Ser Kalasinac is not the future. We know that Ser Kalasinac is not part of the plans beyond this summer. And therefore, you find it harder to take. You know, I looked at Tavares and I was frustrated and I was disappointed. And obviously it hurt. But, you know, it is he is a young man who's still learning and, and hasn't really, up until that point, put a foot wrong. So I think we have to give him a bit of leeway. Now, what I would say is this. Arsenal travel to Old Trafford on Thursday and then to Goodison Park on Monday. as two fixtures in close proximity, two away fixtures that I think are going to be tougher than the game that we have coming up this Saturday. I don't mean any disrespect to Newcastle United. Sorry, uh, I don't mean any disrespect to Newcastle United, but I feel as though we're going to need the better defender in those two fixtures. Do you... Play Kieran Tierney on Saturday, play Nuno Tavares on Thursday, and then bring Tierney back in on Monday? Or do you continue with Nuno Tavares at left back this time and then say to Kieran Tierney, we need you for Thursday and Monday? Is Kieran Tierney capable of playing two games in quick succession like that, given his 
recent fitness troubles. I think there's a lot to think about here. And I have thought about it and I have decided that I think it's more imperative that we have Kieran Tierney available when we go to Old Trafford on Thursday night than it is that we have him available or in the team against Newcastle United. Therefore, I'm going to put Nuno Tavares in at left back this weekend. Now, I know that's going to be controversial. I know that a lot of you have said that you prefer to see Kieran Tierney start. Josh Hunter says KT should come in. He needs to be sharp for United. See, I don't know if he will be sharp, though, playing on Saturday and Thursday because Kieran Tierney, you know, has had problems. Is I don't really worry, actually. Let's be honest. I don't really worry about the the the, the gap between Saturday and Thursday because I think that's a sufficient gap. I then worry about the gap, though, between the Thursday game and the Monday game. And when I think about the order in which I need you know, order of difficulty when you talk about these games. I think Man United is the hardest. I think Everton is the second hardest. And I think Newcastle is the third hardest. So my logic tells me that I'd rather Kieran Tierney, if he was only available for one, was available against Man United. I then think that Man United to Everton is too short of a gap. So it depends whether you think that Kieran Tierney can play Saturday and then Thursday. The other thing, the other thing you got to look at as well, and the other thing I want to just raise is Nuno Tavares has done incredibly well when given the opportunity up until that Liverpool second half, right, where he made a mistake. He, he played a rash pass and, and it led to, to Liverpool's second goal, which ultimately killed the game. But how much confidence would it give the young lad if Mikel Arteta said, you know what, Nuno, you made a mistake, but you've been brilliant overall. I trust you. You can stay in the team. And then has a word with Kieran Tierney on the side and says, look, Kieran, you're going to start at Old Trafford. You're going to play against Everton. Those are the two games I feel I need you in most. Therefore, I'm going to continue with Nuno. I, I, I don't know. It's a it's a really tough decision. I can see from you guys um, that there is, you know, the, the general consensus is that Kieran Tierney should start. Um, you know, let's, uh, Michelle also says KT starts. Um, side disagrees with me. Uh, Mint says definitely Harry 100%. Graham says Tierney needs to be back. Harry can play two games in five days. Uh, he, John says KT did play 90 minutes, 90 minutes twice in five days for Scotland. Um, Jay Dubia says give KT 20 at the end to put some minutes in his legs and take it from there. Benching Tavares uh, straight away would kill him. Yeah, I think. That's the thing with me as well. I'm a little bit worried about the the impact that it would have on Nuno Tavares because I think with a young player, your confidence is normally quite fragile, right? And I think that something like this could, um, you know, like being dropped off the back of a mistake could, um, you know, could could turn out to be a bit of a confidence killer. And I, I don't want that to be the case. But equally, I also recognise that you need to do what's best for the team. In fact, Graham suggests in the chat, and it's a great suggestion. I can't believe I didn't think of it myself. But thank you, Graham. That's why you're here. Uh, who, to put a poll in the chat. So we'll do that for the live viewers now. Who should start at left back versus Newcastle? A, Kieran Tierney. Or B, Nuno Tavares. There we go. We pop that in the chat. That should come up in just a few seconds and you can cast your votes on that one. I'd love to hear from you all. Uh, so do get involved in the poll. But yeah, look, I think for me, I'm worried about how many games we've got coming up. I feel like if I had to pick one of the games to stay with Nuno Tavares in, 
this is the one. I worry about Kieran Tierney's fitness, as I always do, and I worry about him having to play too many games in quick succession. I know people have mentioned that, um, you know, that he played twice in in five days for Scotland, but that's, you know, that's out of our hands. That's out of our control. I don't like the idea of Kieran Tierney playing two games in five days because I think last season when we had a lot of fixture congestion and we constantly used him, we saw him break down on numerous occasions. You know, we're still seeing him break down now, even with most weeks, one game a week. So, yeah, um, you know, let's see. Uh, Pat Moyles makes a good point on the uh, Tavares and Tierney debate. He says dropping him could weaken his confidence or strengthen his resolve. It's all about character. I think that's a great point um, and, and one that should certainly be considered. But I don't know if I want to take that risk with Nuno right now at this at this stage. Look, I'm I'm leaning towards Nuno in this game. I think that we are going to end up, um, despite what I said about Newcastle United earlier on and Eddie Howe on the way he likes to play football, I do think we're going to end up in a place where we're having to break down a low block. And I think that Nuno Tavares is better in that sense because I think he's got the ability to be unpredictable and dribble into very different spaces than what Kieran Tierney does. I think Kieran Tierney, in an attacking sense, although he's more reliable, or, it's my words, although he's more reliable from a defensive standpoint, actually, I think he's a little bit predictable in the attacking third. So I think this is going to be a game where a lot of the time you're going to see Arsenal shape up like this. You're going to see the left back bombing all the way on. You're going to see it end up like a bit of a back three with Tommy Asu, White and Gabriel, as we so often see with Arsenal in possession. Therefore, for me, I think, given what I'm expecting at the weekend, I think Nuno Tavares, oh, it's such a hard decision. I think given what I'm expecting, given the points I've made about his confidence and given the points I've made about Kieran Tierney and my concerns around his fitness going into two big away games, I am leaning towards Nuno Tavares, but we shall see. And just having a look at the poll at the moment, okay, it's still early days. Uh, 28 of you have cast your votes. I'm actually surprised to see that 57% of you agree with me that Nuno Tavares should continue in at left back. We move on from the left back position. Good debate, good discussion, as always. Moving into the centre of midfield. I think we can all agree that Thomas Partey looked a million miles off of fit at Anfield the other day. But such is his significance and such is the problem caused, I believe, by Granit Xhaka being injured. We have to play him because we don't want to see a Lekonga and Maitland-Niles pairing. You know, we've had to see it a couple of times this season. It's been forced upon us due to Thomas Partey being available. It worked against Watford. Um, we got away with it against Watford. Can we get away with it again against Newcastle United? I think Thomas Partey probably needs the minutes and therefore he continues in midfield for me. I think when he's fit, he has to play. I just hope he's fitter than what we saw from him at Anfield because he looked well off the pace. Alongside him, you know, normally I'd say stick with Lekonga, but I think Lekonga lately at certain points has just looked as though we're overloading him. And, and when I say that, I mean in terms of responsibility, not with minutes, not with uh, work or, or anything like that. But in terms of, of minutes, I feel like we're, sorry, in terms of responsibility, I feel like we're overloading um, Sambi Lekonga at this point. He was brought into the club with the idea of being a backup to Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey, who were expected to be a midfield partnership. Obviously, what's happened has happened with Granit Xhaka. I think Mikel Arteta, had he had 
you know, Partey available every single week would probably rotate this a little bit more um, between Maitland-Niles and Lokonga. But unfortunately, there's been times, as I mentioned, where he's had to play Maitland-Niles and Lokonga together because of Partey's difficulty staying fit. I think Lokonga looks tired. I think Lokonga's been overloaded. I'm careful. I want to be careful. I'm conscious as well of any potential damage to his confidence because I think he lost the ball a few times at Anfield, struggled to deal with the press. I think Liverpool did a really good job of cutting out the passing lanes to Partey, which then forced us into using Lokonga more. And I think he struggled with it. I think it would be good to take Sambi Lokonga out of the firing line because I think his performances have been a bit more up and down than Nuno Tavares's. And therefore, I would bring Ainsley Maitland-Niles into the side. I can see a few of you telling me in the chat as well that Lokonga is just a booking away from a ban. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's give him a break. Let's leave him out um, and let's put Ainsley Maitland-Niles in alongside Thomas Partey. Uh, moving further forward, moving into the wide positions, first of all, um, I think Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, a lot of people have commented on his performance the other day. I think he did a good job defensively. It was a big week for him, England debut, et cetera, et cetera. Lots going on, maybe a little bit overwhelming. I think... The reason he didn't have an impact at Anfield was largely because of how good Liverpool were and how dominant Liverpool were, rather than him not necessarily being at the races. Therefore, um, I would like to see Emil Smith-Rowe continue in the team from the left-hand side. I think, although we've talked a lot about him being as a number 10, I think from that area, he's been the most he's most effective. He drifts infield into these kind of areas uh, regularly, therefore creates the channel and the space for the left-back to bomb on on the outside of him as well. So for me, um, I'd like to see Emil Smith-Rowe continue there. Now, this might surprise people, though. I don't want to see Bukayo Saka start this weekend. I think he looks fatigued. I think his form has been up and down this season. And it's not to have a go at Bukayo Saka because there have been a number of England players that have come back from the Euros and just haven't been at the races. I think Saka is one of them. I think from the outside, people are kind of waxing lyrical about him and, and rightly so. You know, what he's achieved in a very short career so far has been nothing short of remarkable. However, um, I think that it's time that we we gave Bukayo Saka a much needed break. I talked about when uh, referring to the left back position about the the fixtures coming up, the trip to Old Trafford, the trip to Everton and, and how closely those games uh, follow one another. And I think that it's probably best that we have him available for those. And therefore, I would like to see Nicolas Pepe come back into the team on the right wing. Now, I know some people are going to disagree with that, but I think with Nicolas Pepe, there's been a lot of debate about him. He does make things happen when he's on the pitch. He can be incredibly frustrating at times, but that's because we all know what he is capable of. I just think for me that casting Nicolas Pepe out into the cold for the foreseeable is not going to help us in the long run. I think he needs to be part of the team. He needs to be playing. He needs to be in there uh, when possible. And, and ultimately, right, this is not because Saka is someone that I don't see as a head of Nicolas Pepe in the pecking order. This is because I think that we need to freshen things up a little bit. You know, we really, really do. The back line, you want to keep it as consistent as possible. You'd like to, in an ideal world, keep your midfield as consistent as possible as well in the centre of the park. But the problem is that injuries and fatigue haven't allowed us to do that. 
Do we have an advantage this season because we're not in Europe? Some would say yes. I think actually there are negatives to it as well. And I think the negatives are that people who find themselves on the peripheries of the first choice 11 end up with very little game time and then struggle to keep themselves sharp and struggle to keep themselves match fit. Also struggle with confidence because Nicolas Pepe, had he been playing in the Europa League while left out of the Premier League side, for example, you know would be banging in goals left, right and centre and would be in a much better frame of mind and state of mind when called upon for the first 11. So I do think Saka desperately needs a rest. I don't think there is another option that should be ahead of Nicolas Pepe on that right wing. Um, and therefore, I'm going to bring Pepe in. Again, lots of you disagreeing. Um, disagreeing maybe with Pepe coming in, but I can see a lot of you think that Saka definitely needs a break and definitely needs to be taken out of the firing line. So that's what I'm going to go with. Pepe from the right, Emil Smith-Rowe from the left. I am going to stick with Lacazette in behind Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We know that Lacazette is probably only going to play 60 minutes because that's all he does at the minute. This role that he's playing currently is a lot more demanding in terms of pressing, in terms of closing people down, in terms of being able to get up alongside Aubameyang in the attacking third, but also having to drop back as part of the midfield when Arsenal without possession. So you can understand why Lacazette's minutes have been kind of condensed down. We'd rather get more out of him for a short period of time than him play the role half-heartedly, if you like. So that's my team to face Newcastle in the Premier League tomorrow, Saturday, 12.30pm kickoff at the Emirates Stadium. Let me just run through it one more time for those of you who are listening via the audio platforms and don't have the benefit of seeing the graphic. Ramsdale in goal. Back four of Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel and Tavares. In midfield, I'm going with Ainsley, Maitland-Niles and Thomas Partey. Lacazette in the 10-stroke second striker position. Emil Smith-Rowe from the left. Pepe from the right. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang up front. So that is the team that I would like to see us go with. Of course, Kieran Tierney is an option at left-back. Um, of course, uh, Lokonga is an option in midfield. Of course, Martin Odegaard is an option. Bukayo Saka is someone that a lot of people, I'd imagine, would include in their team. But I think that he probably needs a bit of a break and should be left out. So that is my starting lineup. Feel free to pull it apart in the comments. Feel free to disagree. Uh, feel free to share your views as always. A um, couple of other bits I want to talk about before we go on to kind of uh, give a pre actually, you know what? No, let's do it the other way around. Let's give the prediction for Arsenal versus Newcastle, and then we'll talk about a couple of other things. Um, I've been asked this a couple of times. I was on Talksport last night. Um, I was on the gas tank yesterday over at ninety min, and, and I've been asked a few times what my prediction is for this fixture. And I'm going to go with a famous old one nil to the Arsenal. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think we're going to struggle to break down Newcastle, who, as I say, although they looked more. Uh, dangerous as an attacking outfit the other day. Um, I do feel we'll probably look at this one and feel as though they'll be better served playing with a low block. If I mean, if I were looking at Arsenal from the outside in as an opposition coach, I'd say that Arsenal have struggled for goals this season. I think Newcastle have scored more goals in the Premier League than us this season, which is crazy when you think they're rock bottom of the Premier League and we're fifth. So I would be looking at that Arsenal side and thinking, the only way I stand a chance, the only way I get out of here with something potentially is to sit with a low block, try and use some threat on the counter-attack with the likes of uh, Joe Willock bursting from deep and, and Alan St. Maximan and his pace. 
and then try and, and make it very difficult for Arsenal to break us down because ultimately that's where Arsenal have struggled. Arsenal have had a problem breaking teams down. Arsenal have had a problem creating chances. I think we can all acknowledge that no matter how positive or pleased you've been with Arsenal's recent run of results, you have to be honest and and frank about it. And, and as an attacking force, we've still got a long way to go. So if I were Newcastle, I'd sit with that low block. I'd try and keep Arsenal out and I'd look to expose them on the counter-attack where possible. Therefore, my prediction is the famous old 1-0 to the Arsenal. And I can see Azzy agrees with me in the comments. Fala also agrees with me. We've got quite a few 2-0s uh, in there as well. A 3-0, a 2-1, a 3-1. 4-0 to the Arsenal. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see us just go out there and tear a team a new one um, because we don't do that often enough. Uh, so, yeah, that's my prediction. Famous old 1-0 to the Arsenal. And as I said right at the top of the show, I don't care how it comes as long as Arsenal walk away from this with all three points. Uh, just a couple of other bits to discuss uh, outside of the world of Arsenal, but more in the world of football. And that is the news that Manchester United are going to appoint Ralph Ranić as their interim manager until the end of the season. Now, according to reports, Ralph Ranić will then take up a two-year consultancy role behind the scenes at Old Trafford. So what does this tell us? This tells us that Manchester United probably still do want uh, to bring in Maurizio Pochettino, probably feel like it's not achievable at this point. And, and as I was saying to someone the other day, why on earth would Maurizio Pochettino want to leave PSG at this point? You know, I'm not saying that they're going to win the Champions League. I watched Paris Saint-Germain the other night and I have to say I wasn't that impressed with them. They've got brilliance in individuals, but as a team, as a unit, you know, they 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 look way off the mark for me. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's probably nailed on that Pochettino wins the league and then gets that monkey off his back, if you like, where people keep talking about him having never won anything, etc, etc. So I don't see why he'd want to leave now. I think Manchester United do see him as the right man, do see him as the perfect fit. And Ralph Ranić is somebody who has a history of building, who has a history of laying good foundations behind the scenes, as well as being a good coach himself. And, and Manchester United, I think, have done a really smart thing here in, in saying that, you know, Ralph, you're going to come in, you're going to come in as an interim, but we want you to play a part beyond that. And that part, I think, is going to be key. I think that Pochettino would benefit from having somebody like Ralph Ranić behind the scenes. The only thing I would say about Ralph Ranić and... You know, overall, just to make it clear, I do think this is a good move from Manchester United. But the only thing I would say about Ralph Ranić is he is very set in his ways. He has a belief about how football should be played. He has a philosophy. He has a style. He has a he takes a very holistic approach as a coach in the sense of he wants to be in charge and in control of everything. I'm not saying that he and Pochettino as a combination won't work. But when somebody is so set in their ways and so adamant about doing things one way or another, I think that can lead to frictions. And you don't know for sure that whoever the coach is that comes in is going to be able to work effectively with somebody like Ralph Ranić. I mean, he's at Lokomotiv Moscow at the moment, which look, the guy gets a lot of praise and the guy gets a lot of, um, you know, a lot of plaudits and rightly so for the most part. But you know, you are at Lokomotiv Moscow. Why are you at Lokomotiv Moscow if you are that good? 
I'm not saying he's bad, but is he driven by money? Is that why he took that role? Is he getting paid a, a, a huge wedge at Lokomotiv Moscow? I don't know. But is he motivated by money? Is he just not that ambitious? Is he actually not regarded as highly as maybe some of the football hipsters are making him out to be today? And that's why he ended up in Russia. I, I don't know. But I, the fact that he is at Lokomotiv Moscow and not at one of the big German clubs, given his reputation, it's a little bit weird for me, a little bit strange for me. So, um, yeah, let's see. Let's see how he does. But as I say, I think he is someone who will at least put a philosophy in place, will at least uh, get more out of the current group. And I think it's a good um, a good appointment for Manchester United. In the short term, I think it's probably a good move in the longer term with the two-year consultancy role that he will be given after that. But there's no guarantees in football. No guarantees. Only that Spurs will bottle it. And it seems that Tottenham get getting battered everywhere they go has now ex <laughs> has now expanded to Slovenia as well. Tottenham Hotspur beaten by NS Mura of the Slovenian league uh, by two goals to one, 94th minute winner. And it was just the perfect shit show, you know, for an Arsenal fan watching on. You go away to a pub team, essentially, get beaten, embarrassingly, lose. Ryan Sessegnon to a red card after Antonio Conte had spent the whole week talking him up and talking about how much of an impact he's going to have going forward. Antonio Conte then sticking the knife in after the game, or depending on how you look at it, either that or being incredibly honest, when he said the level of Tottenham is not so high. Antonio Conte perhaps regretting the decision he made to take the job in the first place. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, always uh, always enjoyable to see uh, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go, as the song goes, and even more so uh, at NS Moura in the Europa Conference League. Can you imagine they crash out? I know they've got a home game in their last game against Wren, but Wren are probably the best side outside of Tottenham in that group. So by no means a given, and given their uh, tendency to bottle things, I wouldn't rule Ren out uh, of picking up a result that sees Tottenham eliminated from the competition. That would be good, wouldn't it? Um, just a quick reminder again uh, for the kind of inside scoop on Arsenal's opponents this weekend, Newcastle United. You can check out our recent show, The Opposition View with Chris Wallace of the Gallagate Shot. So please do that. Uh, also, I just want to say a huge thank you. Uh, to everybody who uh, tuned in to my commentaries yesterday. I was commentating on my first ever Europa League games uh, for GB Vision. Uh, really enjoyed it. You can pick those commentaries up via the Flash Score app, wherever you are in the world. Um, great to see uh, in the Discord and, and from some of the messages I received, how many of you guys, Chronicles of Aguna subscribers, were tuned in and uh, and having a listen. I really, really appreciate the feedback. Positive and negative, I'm still learning. I'm I'm still very much a new commentator and I'm still trying to uh, master the art or, or at least get a grasp of the art. So I really, really do appreciate uh, you guys' support and um, thank you all so much for tuning in. As I say, two cracking games in the end between uh, Celtic and Bayer Leverkusen and the Rangers and Sparta Prague. So uh, thank you all so, so much. Right, it's question time. Get your questions in the live chat box. Pop a cue at the beginning. 
It really, really does help me pick them out of the chat. Uh, if you haven't done so in the meantime, while I'm waiting for a couple of those questions to come in, please do hit the like button. There's over 150 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms on YouTube. We've only got 44 likes. Let's get that up significantly and sharpish. Um, make sure you're subscribed if you haven't done so already. We are, from tomorrow, going to be making the chat box for subscribers only. So if you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to participate in the chat box. That's not because I want to exclude people, but it's because we quite often get um, bots turning up and putting promotional and advertising crap in there, and we want to prevent that. So you have to be subscribed to the channel from tomorrow to participate in the live YouTube chat. Look, most of you should be anyway. I'm sure most of you are. Um, so it shouldn't make too much difference, but we're just going to make that little tweak moving forward. Uh, just a quick reminder to enter our giveaway, uh, which you can do uh, by following the instructions rolling across the bottom of the screen. Head over to at Chronicles underscore AFC on Twitter and then uh, follow the instructions in our pinned tweet. And you can potentially win yourself uh, one of Arsenal's shirts this season. Uh, we're giving away a couple to celebrate the podcast's birthday. Uh, right, let's take some of your questions. Let's take this one from Side, who says, do you expect Arsenal to sign a new central midfielder in January? Or is that this January? I, I, look, I, I'm not going to say I expect because I don't expect there to be much business in January. I think the fitness in the recovery of Granite Xhaka is going to make a big difference in, in the club's thinking around this, in Arteta and Edu's thinking around this. I think if if he continues to be ahead of schedule and gets back to fitness sooner rather than later, I think that Arsenal will probably put off bringing in a centre midfielder until the summer. Now, that's not what I would do. I would bring one in regardless because I always think with an injury like Xhaka's, there is a huge risk that there's a recurrence. There's a huge risk that he struggles to get up to speed um, quick enough. So for me, I would definitely do it. I would definitely go out and look to add to that midfield. I think you you know that Mohamed Elneny is going to leave at the end of the season. And therefore, there is a space in the squad for one anyway. You know, you're just having to, to balance between the two of them for a uh, a slightly extended period or, or for a six month period, whatever you want to, way you want to look at it. I think we, we need to bring one in. Do I think Arsenal are going to do it though? I'm not sure. And I think it is very, very much dependent um, on, uh, on what happens, um, what happens with Granit Xhaka and his recovery. Uh, Mr. Bungles is Harry. Do you like a mince pie, short crust or puff pastry? Random question. I don't mind the mince pie. It's one of those things that I'll eat at Christmas because people put them out on the table and offer them to me. But I wouldn't actively look for a mince pie or even crave a mince pie at any other time of the year. So I'm not a, not a big fan. I do like puff pastry, I've got to say. Uh, be sure to hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Adam Elmino and Harvey doing my job for me in the chat. Thank you, guys. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Creambone says, Harry, do you think that Nuno will test Arteta's man management skills? And I guess the Nuno situation, as we discussed a little bit earlier on, is, is an interesting one. I think largely he's done very, very well. And I don't think that what happened on Saturday will change the outlook on him, not from the manager's perspective, not from our perspective. Um, but I do talk about it being a meritocracy a lot. The, the fact that I think if you're playing well, you should keep your place in the team equally. If you're not playing well, you should lose it. And I don't think Nuno played well in the second half at Liverpool. Um, he doesn't 
mean that I don't like him. It doesn't mean that I don't think he has a future at Arsenal. It doesn't mean that I don't want to see him ever back in the side again. But I think you kind of need to toe the line between not killing the kid's confidence, but also making the point that this is Arsenal Football Club and the standard is up here. And if you fail to maintain that standard, then you will be dropped. You know, you sh- you'll be given an opportunity to work your way back into the side, but you should be dropped. So it's a hard one. I think it will be interesting to see how um, Arteta manages this and, and how he deals with it. But what I would say is that a lot of the questions that have been asked about Mikel Arteta's man management over the course of his tenure have been with regards to players who didn't have a future. Players who he wanted out or wanted out or, you know, just were not in the right frame of mind. I think when you think about Saka, Smith-Rowe, they adore Mikel Arteta. There's clearly a good um, relationship there. People talk about Aubameyang last season and that he was poorly man-managed. Well, I would argue that we've seen him look as committed, if not as effective, but as committed as we've seen him uh, since he joined the club. So I don't think you can say that he's not being managed properly. You know, Martin Odegaard clearly has a good relationship with Mikel Arteta, despite finding himself out of the team at the moment. The same can be said of a lot of this side. And and so I don't think it's fair that we constantly criticise Arteta's man management skills. I think there have been a few examples, Saliba, Guendouzi, that people constantly refer to. But ultimately, I, I think in the long run, he'll be proven right in those. Um, let's uh, move on. Uh, Sam, with a good question, with our central midfield problem, would you take Saul on loan in January if his loan at Chelsea is terminated? Interesting, because I was, when Saul Niguez joined Chelsea on loan, I went, what? Like, I was I was mystified as to how Atletico Madrid allowed this player to join Chelsea on loan and agreed this option to buy thing at the end of it, which was, in my opinion, so stacked in Chelsea's favour. I found it strange. I don't think Saul is a bad player. I think he's a very good player. And I'd actually welcome him at Arsenal. I think for me, you know, he's obviously better than a lot of what we have. And and I'd like to see him come in. But it does concern me that he's played so little football. The other part of me says that we can't be snobs because if I'm going to sit here week in, week out and say that we're a million miles away from Chelsea and from Liverpool and from Manchester City, just because a player didn't make it there doesn't mean that they're not going to be of some value to Arsenal Football Club. So, yeah, I probably would take him if that possibility was to um, was to uh, present itself. Um, Marshall says, Harry, if Arteta were to get sacked, which manager would you like to see at Arsenal? Poch. Oh, I love the way he's done this. 10, literally the number 10, 10 Hag. Um, I would go with Ten Hag, obviously, because Maurizio Pochettino is an ex-Spurs manager. And look, Maurizio Pochettino, for me, is a good coach. Um, but, yeah, the, the Spurs connection is too strong. I don't think I can get over that. Uh, and he's not so outstanding that I'm willing to put that to one side. But, yeah, uh, Ten Hag for me out of the two. Um, Abdallah says, Harry, unrelated, but what's your favourite non-English Champions League winning team? Like, which year and shit? Um, look, i got to be honest. i got to stick to the the kind of the ones I remember. You know, a lot of people will, will look back at uh, some of the great Milan sides, you know, Ajax in the early 90s, etc., etc. If I'm being honest, I, I don't remember those sides. Um, so for me... I guess I'm going to have to pick out Barcelona. Um, 
under Pep Guardiola, because I just think that that Barcelona side, when they beat, I think it was Manchester United at Wembley, 2010, is it 2010 or 2011, around that point, uh, they beat Manchester United by three goals to one at Wembley. And that team for me was, was sublime, not just in terms of the quality they had in possession, but the qualities they had off the ball as well. Very good pressing side, controlled games of football, um, you know, not as aggressive in their press as maybe a modern day Liverpool or, or something like that, but they did do it to an extent and they would press certain areas. And, and I thought they were very good at that. Their ability on the ball was unrivaled. Uh, I mean, the midfield, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, I don't think we've, I don't think I've probably ever seen a better midfield than that in terms of having all the ingredients to control a football match and then put teams to the sword. Messi at his pomp, for me, one of the goats. Um, so obviously he was incredible. And and then of course, you know, the, the style with which they did it all was just sublime. So yeah, I, I'd probably go with Barcelona, uh, to be honest. Let's see um, what else we've got in the chat box. We'll pick out one or two more before we wrap up. Um, just scrolling through. Trying to pick something a little bit different. Um, essential departure. Here we go. Realistically, top six this season, top four next season. Do you agree? Yeah, um, I do. I think top six was my was my objective and hope at the start of the season. And although Manchester United, as I keep saying this week, have, have kind of left that door open for the fourth place, I don't think it's a given that we make it. And I don't think we should be disappointed or or too harsh if Arsenal finish in the top six, get back into the Europa League and, and fail to, to make the top four. Because I still think United will probably come good and United will probably still take that fourth place. I genuinely believe that. They've got the players, they've got the quality, especially now with a new manager. I think you, you'll probably see them be a, a lot more effective. Um, when do I think we'll challenge for the league? Look, this is going to sound really, really doom and gloom. Um, but I don't think it's a given that you do challenge for the league unless you invest the kind of money that Manchester City and Chelsea do and Manchester United, because they're all huge spenders. People will point to what Arsenal spent um, this summer. And I will always push back and say, well, yeah, we spent that this summer, but we spent it on six players. So actually we weren't spending hundred million pounds on one player, 80 million pounds on another, like some of these clubs are capable of doing. So you're always shopping in a lower market for me as a consequence of that. I think the point I keep going back to, and, and, and I've had this discussion over the last two weeks, maybe five or six times, I might have even said it on here. Liverpool are the benchmark in terms of a team who has resource, but doesn't have resource in the league of City and Chelsea and any resource they've generated has largely come from player sales who have been incredibly well coached, very shrewd and clever in the transfer market and as a result have been able to close that gap. But for all of the great work that Jurgen Klopp has done at Anfield, and this is not a dig or a slight at Liverpool, but for all the wonderful work that Jurgen Klopp's done, he'll be at the club until 2024, right? That's what his current contract runs till. I don't think Liverpool win the league this year. I think that Chelsea or City will win it. That's just my opinion, my prediction. But if Jurgen Klopp doesn't win the Premier League this time around, 
And you do get the feeling that with some of the of his players, the kind of cycle's ending. I don't think he'll ever win it again. And that is not a dig at Jurgen Klopp and it's not a dig at Liverpool. But what it is, is, is that to sustain title challenges year on year on year without having that kind of resource is next to impossible. At times, Liverpool have achieved the impossible by doing that. But can we then look at Arsenal and say, you can definitely do that? No, I don't think it's a given. If we did it, it will be incredible. And what I hope is that in the future, if Liverpool don't win the Premier League again under Jurgen Klopp, people don't overlook how competitive they were given the golfing resources between themselves and the teams owned by Sugar Daddies. So that's that's important for me. I think Jurgen Klopp's achievements should be looked at not just in the sense of when did he win the league, because if it does end up to be only once, that won't tell the full story. It won't tell the full story about how great Liverpool have been and how consistent and competitive they've been over the last three or four seasons, despite having a huge um, golf in resources with the clubs that that you know we expect to win the league. So I don't think Arsenal are going to challenge for the league anytime soon. I really don't. I think the aim, the ambition right now has to be to re-establish ourselves as regular participants in the UEFA Champions League. And then once we get there, we can reevaluate. We can look maybe further ahead and we can try and map out how it is that we get to that next point. But at this moment in time, for me, I don't even want to talk about winning the league. I think for me, it's about becoming regular participants in the Champions League. And I know a lot of people will push back on that and say, that's a lack of ambition. That's not what Arsenal should be looking at. That's not how Arsenal should be seen. But it's just the reality of the situation we're in. And I don't know why people can't be realistic, why people can't put their pride and their egos aside and just be honest about where Arsenal are at. We're talking about a team hoping to qualify for the Europa League next season. That means we're a mile off of qualifying or of challenging for the Premier League. And that needs to be acknowledged. Right. We are going to leave it there. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the podcast. Just to reiterate, my prediction for Arsenal versus Newcastle on Saturday is a 1-0 win uh, to the Gunners. Uh, just to share my uh, team once more, the team I would like to see Mikel Arteta pick. Remember, it's not the one I necessarily think he's going to pick. Ramsdale in goal, Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel and Tavares across the back line. AZ Maitland-Niles and Partey in midfield, Lacazette, just ahead of them, Emil Smith-Rowe from the left, Pepe from the right, and Aubameyang through the middle. If you are joining us late on the live show and wondering uh, what on earth I'm doing with that team selection, do uh, rewind it back and you'll get my reasonings. And then maybe uh, you might not come around to the idea of what I'm saying, but maybe you might... Um, feel like I'm being a little bit more sensible uh, in my view than you might have uh, initially thought. Uh, we've got 100 votes on the poll now just before we go. And that poll is who should start a left back versus Newcastle United. The poll has taken a swing, a dramatic swing. Uh, Kieran Tierney, 64% of you want to see him start at left back against Newcastle United. Just 36% want to see Nuno Tavares continue at left back this weekend. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and football related content. We'll be bringing you post-match reaction to Arsenal's uh, game against Newcastle tomorrow from the Emirates Stadium immediately after the full-time whistle. I am then commentating on a game in the afternoon. Uh, so the reaction podcast will be with you live 
in the evening at some point. The time will be confirmed tomorrow, so stay tuned uh, to your notifications. I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care and enjoy the rest of your Friday. All the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.